Hallelujah. You can do much better than this. Come on now. You can do much better than this. Put your hands together and celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Celebrate Jesus. Please take your seats in the next few minutes. Take your seats. Step forth your right hand towards heaven. I begin to give glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just say something to Jesus. Father, we bless you. We bring everything under subjection. We ask that you alone would dominate this atmosphere. Paragato, Zevelia Gada, Mondaba, Shalaga Pradi, Caro Sevregadiagado, Manda Dabara Sode, Grados Keva, Zazola Vahatas. In Jesus' name, Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. Have your way this morning. Let your glory be revealed. I pray that on this third fruitfulness Sunday, a dimension of fruitfulness will hit our lives like never before. And that every bedding and every battle and every entanglement of this season shall give way to the power of your name. In the mighty, matchless name of the Lord Jesus, we call it done. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for the Lord one more time. Now, we have been dealing with fruitfulness. Uh, the first week, we dealt with the why, why you must be fruitful. For the benefit of those who are not here, I want to recap. We discussed the fact that it was a command. One of the first things that God told man after creating man was that be fruitful and multiply. I made you understand that the Bible says, the heavens is his throne and the earth his footstool. A throne is the chair a king sits on. And it says the whole of the heaven is God's throne. The whole of the earth is his footstool. And an entity of that magnitude after creating man does not tell man to worship him first and foremost. The first thing he tells man is to be fruitful and multiply. It tells you the importance God attaches to fruitfulness and the fact that it's a command irrespective of your belief system as a a human being created by God, you are required to be fruitful. Amen. And then, amongst other things, we went to, last week, we dealt with the laws of fruitfulness. We dealt with the laws of fruitfulness. The first law of fruitfulness is the law of, the law of seeds, that fruits follow seeds. If you don't have a seed, you are not going to get fruits. And so whatever fruits you want to see in your life, whether in business, whether in ministry, whether in um, your, your relationships and whatnot, it must always be that fruits must follow seeds. If you have no seed to sow, there is no fruit to be born. And like I made you understand, when we talk about seeds in this context, many people's minds quickly go to money, but money is the least of it. It is what you are bringing and sowing in the soil. It is, it is the hard work. It is the attitude. It is the character. It is everything that comes together that you input in order to produce a certain outcome. The second law was the law of the law of death. The Bible says, except a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. 
And so for every seed that wants to be fruitful, the seed must die. It must encounter death. And uh, you need to understand that something must die. You, you, you don't just come to God as you are and remain the same. In fact, it is impossible to encounter God and nothing changes about your life. Once you meet God, something must die. Something must give way. As a man rises, every proclivity and every part of him rises with him. As a man increases in life, everything, his strength increases with him. His weaknesses increases with him. And that is why whatever is a weakness in your life, you must bury it with your seed. Kill it so that it does not rise with you. Amen. I said that many of us, the enemy will watch you rise because if he attacks you prematurely, the impact of that attack will not be seen. And so he will wait and uh, watch and strategize for you. And only at the point of impact, he would attack you because that's the only time that the attack makes sense. The third law of, of, of fruitfulness, what did we say? The law of time. That everything is subject to time. Everything is subject to time. Except the God that created time. He said, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And so God, in creating the earth, intertwined in its mechanics the law of time. No matter the belief systems of anybody, when two children are given birth, one of them is Christian or from a Christian home, the other is not, Give them 10 years. When you come back, you will still realize that both of them have become subject to the law of time. Both of them will look like 10-year-olds. Is that true? Because it doesn't matter what you believe. Time is inter interwoven into the mechanics of the earth. Um, every seed also has a time component attached to it. You cannot fast forward the fruitfulness of a seed just because you wish it. In its time. In its time. And so the Bible says in his time, he makes all things Beautiful. Time is a, is a partner to what God wants to do. You cannot just rush God because you want it quickly. Amen. And I, I made you understand that time is what determines whether something is good or bad. If I ask you about marriage, is marriage good? I remember when I went to Tamale, I was asking them, is marriage good? They couldn't answer. So let me ask my own church, is marriage good? Okay. So, <laughs> so, so if it is good, would you allow your five-year-old old daughter to get married? I thought it was good. As good as it is, if your five-year-old child gets married, it's wrong. So marriage itself is its goodness. So anything, any virtue, its goodness is measured in the scale of time. If I give you $1 million now, is that a good thing? I can't hear you at all. Is that a good thing? Now, if I give my... Um, ten-month-old daughter, is she ten months? My ten-month-old daughter, if I give her one million dollars in cash, she will chew some, she will tear some, she will step on some. I'm giving her cash because she doesn't recognize what it is. So as good as it is, giving it to her in the wrong time will make it wrong. Amen. That is how powerful the law of time is. Number four. The law of multiplication. We said that every seed has the potential to replicate more of its own kind. So if you, by simply putting one small seed in the ground, give it time, give it, give it all the components that it needs, all the system for growth. After a while, you will come and you see, or, let's say an orange seed was sown, you see orange fruits on the tree, and each of the fruits has its own um, number of seeds embedded in it. So from one seed, you're able to replicate many things. And we said that in this kingdom, um, you can grow by addition, but you can also grow by multiplication. 
if you want to grow by addition, it will take you a long time before you make any impact. Is that true? Now, if somebody wants to move from number two to number 10, and you just keep adding two and two and two, you need to take five steps before you get to your ultimate goal of number 10. Let, that, let another person who has two want to get to 10 and just multiply two by five, he just gets to 10. So by just one simple act, multiplication supersedes the law of addition. And that is why I pray for you, that in your life, in every aspect of your existence, may the law of multiplication become actual, become manifest all around you in the name of Jesus. Somebody say yes. So now, after the recap, let's do today's sermon. Enemies of fruitfulness. Enemies of fruitfulness. Enemies, somebody say enemies of fruitfulness. Oh, come on, shout to say enemies of fruitfulness. Now, the first enemy of fruitfulness is excuses. Excuses. Throughout the pages of scripture, you will come to find many examples, shapes, forms, and types of excuses that have been given. The first person we encounter who is giving excuses is Adam. He has wronged God. God gives him a promise. In fact, he does nothing to deserve what God has done. This is God creating the entire Garden of Eden, all by his power, all by his mind, and decides that, let me get a man to till the ground. He creates Adam and puts him in the garden. The Bible says Adam disobeys the Lord, and now God comes and is asking him questions. He says, it is the woman you gave me. It is the woman you gave me. Instead of taking responsibility, he's making excuses for his actions. You see, what you need to understand is that by Adam saying it is the woman you give me, Adam is actually blaming God. Because it was God that gave the woman to So he's not saying it is the woman. He says it is the woman you gave me. In other words, if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't have sinned. So he was making excuses. In fact, it looks as if Eve even learned from Adam. So when God was also asking Eve, Eve said, oh, it is the serpent. Everybody is blaming somebody. When God called Jeremiah and said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you a prophet. I have put my word in your mouth for your generation, for a season like this. Do you know what Jeremiah said? He said, I'm too young for this. God is telling you that I already knew you and he's the one who controls times and seasons. Is speaking to you at a point in time that I have put my word in you. And all he could say was that, I'm too young for this. God calls Moses and he's sending him to rescue his people from, from the land of Egypt. And he says, go and tell them I am has sent you. And he's telling him all these things, showing himself to him in a magnificent... Look, many of us, um, the way God even called us was not as spectacular as the way God calls Moses. Some of us, it was a flash. It was missed calls. It was, are you with me at all? It was heavenly text messages. It was dreams and visions that only you can verify. This is Moses. He gets to a place and the Bible says there was a tree that was consumed with fire yet wasn't burning. And God called his name out of the burning bush and spoke to him about his mandate and his assignment. And after God, in all this spectacular appearance and disposition, communicates to him his assignment, Moses says, I cannot speak. I am a man of inarticulate speech. God is, you think God didn't know he called you? Excuses. 
any man who wants to experience fruitfulness in life must be ready to shed their coats of excuses. The Bible says, and also I want you to read this from the Amplified Version. From the Amplified Version. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. Proverbs 22, 13. Proverbs 22:13. Yes, sir. The lazy one. Okay. Manufactures excuses and says. What does he do? What does the lazy one do? Manufactures excuses. It's a factory of excuses. The lazy one is a factory of excuses. He has gotten into the manufacturing industry, and his job is just to manufacture excuses. Okay. What does he? What is the excuse now? There's a lion outside. I will be killed in the street if I go out to work. Did you hear that? How ridiculous is this one? It says, a lazy man manufactures excuses. And he says, there's a lion outside. If I go, it will kill me so I can't go out to go and work. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? People are in the habit of manufacturing excuses so as to prevent themselves from pursuing what God has said before them. You see, if you are in the habit of making excuses, even if God appears to you in a burning bush, you still make excuses. Even if God comes in the clarity of the day and speaks to you indubitably, you will still make excuses. There are people who are in the habit of making excuses. Oh, it was because of my father. If my father had done this, I wouldn't be here by now. It's because nobody is there to help me. Jesus met a man who was at the, at the water that they stared, Bethesda. And every time they will come and stare and somebody falls inside, the first person who goes there receives the healing. Jesus comes and he meets this man and he's asking him, do you want to be healed? The man says, you know, I don't have anybody to help me. Every time they stare, somebody goes in faster than I. That's not the question you are being asked. The question is, do you want to be healed? He's already started looking for all the reasons why he cannot be healed. It's like declaring in church, may you encounter breakthroughs. Whilst people are shouting amen intently and with all their hearts, others are in their minds manufacturing all the reasons why they cannot make it. It is the reason why, that I told you last week, the man who sowed the seed was the same man. The seeds that were sown was the same seeds. The difference was the soil upon which the seeds fell. And so one fell on good soil, one fell on hard rock, the other one fell on thorns, and the expressions of increase and fruitfulness was different in accordance with the soil on which the seed fell. So all of you are like the seeds, and I'm like the sower, and I'm disseminating the seeds into your soil. But the response of the soil or, or the, the fruitfulness will depend on how the seeds are. So people can be here, gathered, hear the same message, hear the same impartation, hear the same prophetic word, but the impact of that word in their lives will be different because whilst others grab it with all their hearts, with their souls and with their minds, others are making all the excuses for why they cannot make it. For everybody who does not want to achieve anything, they will always manufacture excuses and blame everybody else for why they didn't make it. The first enemy of fruitfulness is excuses. 
go and achieve this. Oh, but I, I, you know, it's not possible. Go and make it. You know, my, my boss doesn't like me. And excuses. Do you know that if you want to do something, you will do it? If you don't want to, you will find an excuse not to. We are people of impact. We are people the Lord is raising in this generation to affect lives all around. Not only to court ourselves like hermits in the church and, and just, you know, rub ourselves and tickle ourselves and be happy. No, God is raising us to step out there in the marketplace, step out there in the business places, step out there in the fields of human endeavor and make impact by being his ambassadors in this kingdom. But you can't so do if you are just making excuses all the time. The Bible said the other day, Jesus spoke of a parable. And in this parable, he said, um, a, a king wanted to throw a banquet. And they put everything in, in, in place. Everything was in line. And they said, now go and bring the people that have been invited to this banquet. When they went, the excuses started. It was a dinner banquet. The first person said, sir, you know, permit me to be excused. For I have just bought a land. I need to go and prove the land. Sir, how do you buy a land without seeing it? How, how? You have already bought the land, but you are not going to see it. So what were you buying? That was his excuse. I bought a land. I need to go and check it. The next person said, oh, I have just bought some oxen. I need to check the third person is the most ridiculous. He said, I've married a wife. I've married a wife. Somebody said, I've married a wife. He said, I've married a wife, so I can't come. The king said, okay, forget about these ones. Now go into the highways. Go into the streets and bring to me everybody else that my house may be full. Understand this. The fact that you don't show up doesn't mean the house will not be full. The fact that you decide not to pursue your assignment doesn't mean the assignment will be left unfulfilled. God is so faithful to his commission that any man who is an inhibition and an obstacle to the fulfillment of that commission, he will set you aside and raise another man to pursue it. God's intention for calling Moses was for Moses to lead his people from Egypt to a promised land. When he made a mistake and he fell by the roadside, God didn't abandon his original commission. No, God raised another man, Joshua, to continue the journey and to fulfill what he started from the beginning. So a man who decides not to pursue that assignment, don't think that if you don't do it, it will not be done. If you don't do it, God will raise another man to get it done. If God desires that you will be so fruitful that you will start impacting the lives of women around and you decide to abandon the commission, God will not abandon the women. God will raise another person, bless the person and grace the person so that he, the person becomes so fruitful and that the assignment is fulfilled. If God places a burden on your heart, for example, to be there for widows, and you decide to abandon it and not be fruitful and give all the excuses, God will bypass you, raise another vessel, equip the vessel in order that that assignment is fulfilled. So you can give all the excuses you want. Do you think that if tomorrow morning I decide to stop preaching, God will abandon his commission? God will raise another voice, maybe a mightier voice, maybe a more anointed voice, maybe a better preacher to come and to continue the commission, that assignment. 
So never come to the place where you start making excuses. The Moseses and the Jeremiahs and all those I, I began with, all of them, after making the excuse, they abandoned the excuses and started following the voice of God. Look at the same man who said, I am a child, now standing in front of an entire nation declaring the prophetic word without fear. The same man who said, I cannot speak, standing in front of Pharaoh now, demonstrating the power of God. Sir, what is your excuse? What, what is your excuse? That I didn't go to school. Oh, is that an excuse? Do you think that when you graduate and they give you a degree, they add a million dollars to it? If that were so, we'd just be running around looking for more degrees. In fact, some of the most successful people in life are people who didn't even maybe complete their education. I'm not saying don't go to school. What I'm saying is you don't have an excuse whether you did or you didn't. To limit God's ability to raise a man only within the confines of education is to limit the power of God, truly. Excuses. Someone said, I didn't get first class. Go and ask the people who got first class. So, you know, my family, it's, it's my family. It's my, fa- it's my family. Do you know the families people are coming from? The truth is, people don't just tell you their story. That is why you think that you have it worse. If people are to open up and tell you the secrets in their family, you'll be shocked. Excuses are the enemies of fruitfulness. Excuses. Excuses. Number two. Wasters or destroyers. Wasters or destroyers. Wasters or destroyers. Wasters or destroyers. Isaiah 54, 16. Second enemy of fruitfulness is the waster or the wasters. Isaiah 54, 16. NIV is, is fine. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 54, 16. See. It is I who created the blacksmith, uh-huh. who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. There is an entity called the destroyer. I've, God said, I have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. Is that in your Bible? Okay. Nahum 2 2. Nahum. Oh, yes, Nahum is in your Bible. Nahum 2, 2. Yes. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob Mm. like the splendor of Israel. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste. Though destroyers have laid them waste. Go ahead. And have ruined their vine. And have ruined their vines. It says, though destroyers have ruined their vines, though destroyers have, have decimated them, I, the Lord, will restore the splendor of Israel. Which means there are destroyers that destroy vines. They destroy and attack fruitfulness. Last scripture, Joel 2.25. Joel 
Joel 2.25. Joel 2.25. Yes. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The locusts. The great locusts and the young locusts. The great and young locusts. The other locusts and the locusts swamp. My great army that I sent among you. This is not King, King James. Please read King James. That way he's just talking locust and locust and locust. King James will give you different grades and different the canker worm. Joel 2.25. Yes, sir. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. The years the locust have eaten. The canker worm. The canker worm. And the caterpillar. The caterpillar. And the palmer and the worm. Palmer worm. My great army which I sent among says, you. I will restore to you. The years that palmer worm, canker worm, caterpillars, and locusts have eaten, the destroyers, they have been set loose. They have entered the fields and they have destroyed all the fruits. Destroyed. Listen, there are people, spirits, and entities that rise themselves and make themselves an opposition to fruits. And the Bible is saying, John 10, 10, it says, um, The thief cometh, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do you know that the things we are calling theft and destruction and death are only so defined in relation to the value of the things that have been either stolen, destroyed, or killed? I'll explain what I just said. Also, if you have rubbish outside, rubbish, outside, maybe parked in front of your, your, it's in the bin outside, you're you are even contemplating what to do with it, or getting somebody to pick it for you and, and throw it and dump it like we do, and suddenly maybe um, dogs come around, they push it down and they eat everything in it, would you call that distraction? Would you call that distraction? It's not. Right. If you have a very expensive clothes, let's say 10,000 cities dress, you have hung it, and the same dogs come and they pick it and they start chewing it, would you call that distraction? Would you call that distraction? It is a distraction. Why? Because distraction in, in relation to the value of what has been destroyed. I want, I'm going somewhere with it. I want you to follow. If a man is dead, the man can't be killed. So for something to, be, to constitute killing, the thing must be alive. True? Okay. Now, thing, a thing that is stolen also must certainly be a thing of value. Otherwise, you have just helped me. If I, the same rubbish example. I have my rubbish there, getting ready to let somebody offload it. And somebody quickly comes and pours it into a rubber and runs away with it. Is it theft? Is help? Because I have no value for that thing. So for the Bible to say, for Jesus to say in John 10, 10, the thief cometh to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It means that the things in question are things of value. Hallelujah. They are things of value. They are things of worth. So whatever the enemy is stealing is something valuable. Whatever he's destroying is something valuable. Whatever he wants to kill is something alive. So if your business is already dead, the, the enemy won't come after it. 
because it will not constitute killing. If your business is worthless, the enemy won't come and destroy something that's already destroyed. So he comes with that mandate to attack things of value. You are trying to build a strong marriage. You are trying to build a strong business. You are trying to build a strong system in your life. And suddenly he sees the, the, the thing germinating and coming up. And he strikes at that time. Because that is the only time it is of value to you that it will pain you to hurt you. There are wasters. Even in our families. There are people, when you start rising, they are angry that you are rising. Why are you rising? Why, why is it always you? Why are you the one being celebrated around all the time? Why? Are you better than the rest of us? You have, you have stolen our stars. The people call black stars because you don't, don't see what they are doing. What star again? The second enemy of fruitfulness is the wasters. Imagine sharing all your plans and ideas with a waster. the problem. Some of us talk too much. We look at the faces of the people and the smiles deceive us to think that these are smiles of you can pick a taxi and before you get down from the taxi, you have shared your whole life story with the taxi driver. You have shared, you think, oh, this one, I'll never meet them again. Did you know? Do you know who they are? You have shared your, your father, your mother, and they did this to me, and I went here, and now, now I'm even trying to do it. You have shared the whole story. And you are still confused as to why you are not rising. Wasters. Just as they are divine helpers, they are also wasters. There are people who help you. See, when, when you meet a divine helper, they don't mind putting their, themselves aside just to see you flourish. They don't mind you know, sacrificing themselves to ensure that you make it. One divine helper in scripture is Jonathan. Jonathan born to Saul, who is the king on the throne. And so by simply by inheritance, the law of inheritance, he's the one supposed to sit on that throne. And yet he's telling David, you are the one that the throne is for, you forget about me. I will help you to sit on this throne. What kind of help is this? What kind of friendship is this? That something that is duly his, he is ready to sacrifice to raise another man onto that seat. So just as they are divine helpers, they are also wasters. And that leads me to point number three. Good. That leads to point number three. Doing it without God. The third enemy of fruitfulness is taking God out of it. Taking God out of what you are doing. John 15, 15. John 15, 15. Oh, Jesus. John 15, 15. The book of John 15, 15. Yes. Henceforth, I, will, I call you not servants. Okay. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you. Are you men. sure? Yeah. Read it again. John 15 15. Yeah. Henceforth, 
I call you not servant. Okay. For the servant knoweth not what his Okay, Lord. read verse 5. Verse 5. John 15, 5. Yeah. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Yes. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Read the last part again. For without me, ye can do nothing. For without me, you can do nothing. So trying to be fruitful without God is an exercise in futility. How do you leave God out of it? Especially when there are wasters. Are you going to fight the wasters on your own? Even the, the wasters you can see, you can't fight them. How much more the wasters you can't see? And that is why you need God in your corner if you want to be fruitful. He says, without me, you can do nothing. It's not something so. You can do nothing. Foco, shilling. You can't do any. Wow. Without me. In, in other words, without me, you can't pray. Without me, you can't give. Without me, you can't live. Without me, you can't breathe. Without me, you can do nothing. If even the basic things we can't do without him, how much more the more impactful things in our society? Without me, you can do. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. How is a branch disconnected from a vine and the branch wants to bear fruit? It's impossible. It must be attached to a source because the roots are the ones that draw the nutrients, bring it up and, and, and transmit it even to the branches so they have something to also live on. And so whenever a branch decides to detach itself from the, the stem or from the tree itself, it is, it is finished. You are done. Without me, you can do nothing. Never come to the place in your life where you are so big that you don't need God anymore. Never rise to a level where you become so self-important that God becomes a very insignificant factor in your existence. Are you with me at all? Just without me. Look, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul is speaking. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. Then he goes on to say, he says, I who plant and he who waters are the same, but we are nothing compared to the God that gives the increase. In other words, Paul is saying planting is a good thing. It's a good start. Watering is very, very important because you can't let it dry down. But after you have done all that, the most important factor in determining the fruits is the God factor because it is God that gives the increase. The, the NIV says it is God that makes it grow. It is God that makes it grow. So you can plant all you want and water all you want. The day you decide that God is a non-factor in your existence is the day you have disconnected yourself from the God that makes things grow. So taking God out of it is the third enemy of fruitfulness is the third enemy look at what God tells Abraham when he meets him he says I'll make your name great I will bless you through you would all the nations of the earth be blessed he says I will make your name great I imagine Abraham comes to a place and says I don't need God anymore the I who says I will make you you don't need God again then go and make yourself it's one of the reasons why I find it uncomfortable when people say, I am self-made. What do you mean? You are self-made. If you are self-made, you must be self-sustaining. 
Is that true? If you made yourself, you must sustain yourself. But if you are God-made, then God's responsibility is to sustain you. Why? He is the Alpha and the Omega. It's impossible for him to start something and not bring it to an expected end. And so if you allow him to be the one that starts with you, then, oh, mine, he has all the power, all the virtues, all the ability to sustain what he has done. Did you not read in your Bible? He says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you. They are thoughts of good and not of evil to bring you to an expected end. I can bring you to an expected end. Never leave God out of it. Your education, don't leave God. Your, your health, don't leave God. Your business, don't leave God. Your ministry, don't leave God. There are people who have left God out of ministry. Yeah. They are more interested in the titles. They are more interested in the, in the other things, other elements, in the strategies. And they are more interested in sounding philosophical and being in right standing with everybody else. And they have left God out of the equation. A generation that thinks that the glory of God is captured in, in stage smoke. As good as it is, that is not the glory of God. Can I go there now? I've taught you, it is not possible to be in church and not have any testimony. How? It's not, a, it's not a club meeting. No. When we go for club meetings, we go just to go and have fun and, you know, make ourselves happy, go home, and our problem follow us home. In that brief moment of ecstasy, we may be disconnected from the problem, but the moment we are done and we step into the confines of reality, the problems are back. But after that, you have met God. There must be something that shifts in your life. There must be something that moves. And that is why you cannot be fruitful without God. If it is God's kind of fruitfulness, then you will have to need God. You will need God. You must want to want God. Can we pray this morning? Can we pray this morning? Lift up your right hand. Say, Father, I cannot do it without you. Yeah. Begin to pray. Say, Father, in my situation, I need you. I need, I need your help. I need you. I need your backing. I, I need you in building my life, in building my ministry, in building everything that concerns. I need you, Lord. Ah, 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 ah,